And I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. Good morning, and welcome to episode 294 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, hopefully sounding more cheerful today, uh, joined by Sam Miller, as always. Hello. <laughs> as always. <laughs> yes. Um, always. Yes. Almost always. Pretty much nonstop. All day, <laughs> every day. Yeah, we just we start recording at some point, but we we keep a constant conversation going. Um, okay, so it's the listener email show. So we have selected some questions, and you're going to read them. Yeah, and I want to start just with a, uh, a, a, um, a reference to last week when we talked about players getting ejected mid-play. And you mentioned uh, one example that was brought up involving Justin Upton. Mm-hmm. We got another example that was brought up from Ed, and it was... Um, Steven Strasburg, who um, uh, was tossed, quote, uh, was tossed after he threw two wild pitches in a row behind Andrelton Simmons. Uh, it looks as if home plate umpire Marvin Hudson ejects him after the second wild pitch while Strasburg is moving to cover the plate with the Braves runner on third coming home. Schaefer hasn't reached home yet before Strasburg is thrown out. Uh, MLB Rule 4.07 says, when a manager, player, coach, or trainer is ejected from a game, he shall leave the field immediately and take no further part in that game. So, had the Nats catcher been able to get the ball to Strasburg in time, would Strasburg have been permitted to tag Schaefer, or would the Braves be entitled to an unchallenged run because Strasburg was immediately out of the game? And um, I don't have an answer for that, but what I do have is a unrelated example of something different that Richard brought up uh, in which Benji Molina once homered but was pinch run for after reaching first base. Right. Uh, and the story behind this was that he uh, he hit a home run. Uh, it, the umpires ruled it a single. Um, Emmanuel Burris immediately ran out to pinch run for Molina uh, because Molina slow. And then the Giants appealed the call and it was ruled a home run. So then Burris was on first, and uh, let me see if I can find the quote, but Burris circled the bases enthusiastically. It was hilarious, he said. It was such a weird play. You don't know how to react. I stood there at first base for a second when they said it was a home run. I asked first base coach Roberto Kelly, and I even asked the umpire, does Benji come back and run for himself? Hmm. Roberto kind of gave me a push, and the umpire told me to run, so I said, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) And I just think that the answer to the Strasburg thing probably – doesn't exist like i get the feeling that in a lot of cases these umpires just wing really it just, they, they really do just make it up and like sometimes when we bring up a particularly strange play uh or a particularly strange rule i should say in the rule book which seems you, to happen every listener email show you have to imagine that the reason that it's in there is because one time it happened they didn't know what to do so the umpires winged it mm-hmm. and then they uh then they just put a rule in and it never happens again someone sent us an email about the the rule about distracting a batter right yes. do you want to recap that uh there was a player um was it was it was uh it? pesky was it was uh, it was, no it, it was someone someone on the notable. right side, right um it was was it doer or could have been uh, fielders distracting batters. Uh, Eddie Stanky. Oh right, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, Eddie Stanky is the culprit, and even has the quote Stanky maneuver <laughs> <laughs> named after him. And the amazing thing about the Stanky maneuver, which actually I believe is even the the web link that he sent us, even has pictures of him <laughs> standing behind the pitcher, kind of grumpily. 
Uh, unless that's the umpire. Is that the umpire? Yeah, that's got to be the umpire. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't tell. Yeah, it looked like well, he was in he was in some sort of like pitcher's helper position. It looked like to me, but uh-huh. maybe I don't know. But yeah, so but the thing is that he started doing this, I think, in like August, and yes. they they let him go the rest of the season. Yeah, it, uh, be, it, before the rule was made. Yeah, it it wasn't clear to me whether he kept doing it or not. There was a that was that story was from August, and then. We we found out, or the emailer told us that the the rule was passed the following year. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if he continued doing it consistently throughout that season, or whether they they warned him to stop or something. But theoretically, you you could have kept doing it for for the last month or so of that season. And theoretically, you could go and see if there was an effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were looking for an unfiltered <laughs> topic for tomorrow. Uh, all right, so let's get to the questions, Eric. Hartman uh, asks, how big a lead would I have to spot a low-A team before you think they'd be likely to beat a major league team, uh, in presumably in, in one game? And I guess presumably at the start of the game, I mean, this would be how yeah. many runs you'd have to spot them at the start. I, I was kind of thinking, like, what? How big, would a one-run lead in the ninth, would you, who would you bet on if they had a one-run lead in, going to the ninth? <sighs> Probably uh, if the low A team had a one run, uh, probably <laughs> obviously if uh, probably still the major leaguers, I think. Two run lead in the in the eighth. Yep. Major three leaguers. run lead at three run lead in the seventh. Why don't we just why don't we just increase the the number and keep the inning as the ninth? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a more logical way to do this? Um, I, I would yeah I would need I don't know I guess it would depend slightly on the pitcher but. Because you could get like, you could get some really advanced low A pitcher, I guess, who, well, you know. Yeah, I, you could, but I mean, assume it's a normal low yeah, A team. Just a normal guy. A stacked team, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess a three run lead. I would favor the low A team. In the seventh. In the ninth. Uh huh. But what about in the seventh? In the seventh, well, why don't we just should we? Why don't we do the start of the game? I think well because you and I have it seems like drastically different opinions about this. And when I if we start at the start of the game and I give my opinion, mm. uh, then that will be that will be apparent. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, seventh inning. I don't know. Six, seven runs. Wait a minute. If six it were runs. the if it were the seventh inning, you would bet on the major league team with even if they were down by five. Uh, maybe. Wow. See, I, I would bet. I would is, bet on the, the gap is really pretty sizable, and and I know that. Is it though? I think so. I would so. bet on the. See now, I would bet on the minor league team on the low A team. I would bet on them even if they were down. I think I would bet on them if they were up four to start the game. Because hmm. if you think about it, and you're right, the gap is 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 big. But I mean, replacement level is like somewhere between double and triple A, right? Yeah. And so replacement level, I mean, a, a team that you know, the team that wins eighty games, an average team, is like 30, 30 wins better than. I mean, replacement I don't know so, if trip. I don't know if that's replacement level is like the the best guy in triple A. No, that's not true. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not the best guy in, in AAA. It's the freely available. It's the guy you can get at any point. Yeah. 
But, well, okay. Um, Well, anyway, the the, the point is that if a major league team is 30 wins better than replacement, um, roughly average, then that's, you know, two runs a game better than whatever the replacement level is. And I don't know. I mean, it seems fair to maybe double that to go from, you know, to go from replacement level down to low A. Maybe more, but I don't know. I feel somewhat confident that in a major league, I mean, in a in a professional baseball game, the the difference over nine innings isn't that huge. I mean, I don't know if you. I mean, if you say that the low A team pitcher is like like a batting practice pitcher. And well, he's probably not, he's better than that. But even if he were a batting practice pitcher, you would still make outs from time to time. Uh, uh-huh. Even if it were just a guy just you know pumping it in there at seventy something or whatever, uh, you would hit the ball hard at people now and then. And so it's not like it's not like it would just be turning over the lineup over and over and over again because no one would ever get out. Even if you hit the ball hard, there would be out um i don't know i do you i feel like the world baseball classic has 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 somewhat to some degree answered this i mean you see teams that have no business going up against major leaguers mm-hmm. and they they basically hold their own and and i mean that's not just an average major league team either the dominican team and the american team are all-star teams basically mm-hmm. and they, they don't just dominate this isn't basketball um i mean i well, I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I feel like I wouldn't feel super confident betting on the minor league team up by four runs, but I would feel more confident than betting on the major league team down by four runs. <clears throat> okay. I don't know. What, what do you think the average level of a WBC team is, like one of the smaller ones? Below, below low A. But I, would say, I would say it's below professional. Hmm. I mean, one of the one of the really small ones. Ne- like, what would the Netherlands be? Yeah, I don't know. I would uh, guess the Netherlands. The Netherlands might be high A. I think it would be higher. Yeah. I wouldn't put them at double A. I'd have to look at the rosters. You would. Yeah. Neither of us watch the WBC all that closely. You only know like four guys on the roster, though. So that's all you need to look at. You just you you don't know you don't know them. There's a reason you don't know them. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, didn't that, right. don't there have been exhibition games? Didn't the Yankees play like Virginia Tech? A seventeen-year-old girl struck out Babe Ruth, dude. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've read, I've heard some things <laughs> about that. Uh, all right. Um, well, I think you're wrong. Okay. All right. Josh asks. Um, I'm guessing that teams like the Indians would be much more inclined to rethink their names and logos. If free agents started saying those things are offensive and I don't want to play for you, or if a smart front office type goes to work for the Cardinals over Cleveland and reveals his decision was partially based on being uncomfortable with the logo and or name, do you ever see something like that happening? Are there ball players out there who avoid Cleveland and the Braves because they consider the name logo Tomahawk Chop to be offensive? What are the chances someone out there has Cleveland on his no trade list simply because he doesn't want to wear that logo on his body? <clears throat> later late later skaters um thank you for the question josh uh it seems to me unlikely that there's a player out there who secretly has that as a po- uh, well do you think of a player i haven't wanted even to... heard have you ever heard a player speak out about either of those 
issues or those teams? I've never heard of that. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I have. So the the question is, if there was a player who who felt strongly about this, or even felt mildly about it, mildly enough that it you know changed his decision at all, would you you'd expect him to say something, right? Because it doesn't have any power if you don't say anything. It's a a silent boycott is is not valuable at all. You need to write a letter to the company and explain to them that you're not buying their product. So presumably, if we've never heard of this, that presumably there is no player for whom this has ever been a factor? Uh, I don't know. I, I could see a player caring a little bit, but not enough to, you know, I mean, anyone who says that would have to care a lot about it because the attention that he would get and the questions he would have to answer and the media would descend on him and it would, it would, he'd have to care enough about it, feel strongly enough about it to put up with all the extra attention and all the extra interviews. And then mm. it would be weird when he played the Indians and the Braves maybe. And I, so I could see a player being against it, but not against it so much that he would say anything and, and probably, probably not against it so much that it would dictate his choice of of team either i'm a little surprised that we don't hear about players making uh stands against particular maybe particular owners who i mean a lot of these owners have political politically staked positions you know they're they're rich guys who put their money into various causes i'm surprised that you've never heard a a player kind of take on his owner's politics Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, it could it's partly that baseball is a it's fairly apolitical, yeah, uh, and I would say more than other sports, and it's also fairly conservative, much more than other sports, mm-hmm. uh, except golf. Uh, although you do hear golfers talk politics a lot more than you hear baseball players talk politics. I've never heard a golfer talk about anything. I see. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there are a lot of a lot of political activists in clubhouses. Uh, I don't know. They don't. They don't have time. They're they're professional baseball players. Do you think anybody, any player, has uh, has opted not to sign with Arizona or has added Arizona to a no trade clause because of their their immigration laws? Because you did hear some players speak out against mm. against that, and that's a thing where you could maybe argue that it's not even a a, a purely political yeah, thing. If you are a Latin American thing. ball player, mm. yeah, it's it's a it's a. I, I mean, I guess you could see it as a political thing, but not not a pure left right political thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you suppose that's, there are any players who've done that? That's more plausible to me. I wouldn't be shocked to hear that. Do you think that in 50 years there would be any players that, that I mean, if, if the Indians keep their name and logo for the next 50 years, would you expect to ever hear a single player uh, take a stand like Josh is suggesting? Yeah, I, I think it's probably unlikely that they'll keep it that long. Um, right. You, you would, you would, well, given the given sort of the political makeup of players, you would think that in baseball the players are unlikely to be the the vanguard. Only. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like in football, you could maybe see it a little more. In basketball, I think you could see it a little more, maybe. But baseball is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if it got to the point where if you played for the Indians and the Braves, you would you would be shunned or something for for not standing up about it then i could see people 
you know, having it affect their decision. But by the time it gets to that point, I would think the team would have would have just changed it anyway. So, well. so uh, I don't really expect the the movement to to find a voice inside a clubhouse. Michael asks, assuming average pitcher velocity continues to rise, will this eliminate pitchers who do not throw hard from the game, or will it lead to a new renaissance of soft-tossing pitchers because hitters aren't used to facing them? That's an interesting question. Um, my initial thought was was that there might be something to that, that the rarer something gets, the more the more value there is to, to doing that thing. Um but I'm not sure it applies here because a pitcher who throws hard can also throw slowly, right? Or at least you you could find guys who can do both. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I don't I don't think there would be a a renaissance of soft tossing. I I just think that uh, there might be some slight benefit. Uh, that soft tossers would get in a hard throwing league compared to what soft tossers would get in a non hard throwing league. Do you think that our British listeners, I don't actually know what tosser means, but in, <laughs> we do occasionally find out that we're accidentally <laughs> swearing in other countries. Yes. Is, are we right now swearing in, in Great Britain? Uh, yeah, or something close to that, I think. I don't remember. Right. Uh, <laughs> what was the other one recently where someone in Australia told us that we were we were saying something that was there was something. We, yeah. uh, so anyway, what I'm saying is that... Uh, Rootability. Rootability. I don't know what that means. It means sexually attractive in Australia. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, so uh, while, the, yeah, while there might be some counter-programming benefit to a person who doesn't throw hard if everybody else is throwing differently than them, um, I think that generally speaking, there is a pretty strong almost one you know, almost almost one-to-one correlation between throwing harder and being better. Um, so I, I just think that slow pitchers would just get left in the dust. Yeah. So, like, they would get, like, 5% advantage mm-hmm. uh, and but lose, like, 95% on, you know, yes. the other, in, in the other direction. It would just be bad. And if, even if this were the case, even if this were significant, you would merely find some sort of balance where... Uh, if it went all the way to an extreme, then there might be a couple of guys who benefited on the slow end. But then if there, if there was a renaissance in which you saw 30 guys on the slow end or 60 guys on the slow end, it would completely negate the outlier effect or the counter-programming benefit, and it would disappear again. So you, even if this were the case, you wouldn't see a renaissance. You just might see three or four quirks, right? Mm-hmm. They, soft tossers might turn into knuckleballers for instance, mm-hmm. where you, you, you see two or three at once, but never anymore. But I wouldn't expect it would be nearly the effect that, that knuckleballers have. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, all right. Uh, Aaron asks uh, uh, a question about Hall of Fame voting. Uh, do you think that, and he compares it to the NFL, where apparently all the eligible voters meet the day before the Super Bowl in a room together, all eligible players have a voting member make a case for each player, and then they discuss it as a group and take a final vote. Do you think getting all the BBWAA together and putting them in a room to discuss the merits of each player would make a difference in how the outcome would be, particularly in this age where battle lines are so clearly drawn uh, between letting in PED players or keeping them out? Face-to-face discussion and strong cases for or against may make inclusion different 
than how the outcomes currently are going. Maybe a mob mentality would push one side to the other. Curious on your thoughts. Uh, so I guess the question is, um, basically, do you think that the format of, of debate, where all the debate currently takes place in snarky columns um, and not so snarky columns, but basically all the debate is happening in column form, um, where people are, in a strange way, they are not speaking to the other voters, yeah. except except accidentally. They are essentially speaking primarily to a huge mass of people who don't get to vote in order to maybe have some sway over the few who do. I mean, there's some... It's an inefficient way of changing minds. There's some cross-pollination. I mean, writers talk to each other. In, in, I was just at Yankee Stadium, and, and someone was talking about how he had been discussing MVP races with, with a bunch of other writers and... And, was it Annie McCulloch? Yes, <laughs> and, okay. and and uh, and that they hadn't didn't necessarily have the same philosophy on those things. So, so yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, there's there's some discussion that that goes on there. I guess people maybe would tend to congregate. Like, I don't think people are choosing who to hang out with based on their Hall of Fame philosophies. But maybe if there's some sort of age breakdown to it that you tend to have the the younger guys hanging out together because they came up as writers together and the old school guys hanging out together because they've been on the beat forever or whatever. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the, the, I think probably people don't care quite as much about this as you would infer that they care from what they write. You mean voters don't care? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it can get, kind of heated at times online or on Twitter. And I feel like if you put people in a room, there wouldn't be like a fist fight or anything. It would probably a, probably be a pretty civil discussion. And I don't know whether you'd be any more likely to change minds about it. Maybe if you had a really persuasive speaker or something, but um, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I would be... I would be extremely surprised to find out that anybody's mind was changed by a uh, by a presentation or a you know panel discussion uh, in a room. I, I don't think anybody ever changes anybody's mind with <laughs> with with uh, argument and debate. I, I really genuinely just I don't think that's how the human brain uh-huh. works. I think I think we change our opinions by subtle peer peer pressure that we don't even appreciate is is happening, mm-hmm. and we we just sort of essentially you know follow the. Uh, we follow what we think is the the norm behavior yeah. among the people that we align ourselves with, and so in a way, the column approach works because you, it really does. I mean, everybody has these sort of signifiers on which side they're on in larger arguments, and then mm-hmm. they say what they think about the smaller arguments, and I think that subtly shifts people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, the you you mentioned Andy and the MV. Pivot and, and he mentioned in a tweet today mm. that he thought that the Cabrera Trout <laughs> yes. debate last year killed the uh, killed the MVP voting debates forever. Or he said something along the lines of it. Yeah, he took all the fun out of him forever or something mm-hmm. like that. And I think that's kind of true too. I was asked the other day um, on like a radio thing about Trout or Cabrera, and like I just all I had <laughs> just in me was a, all, yeah, all I had in me was a heavy side. Like I, the, it really feels like things changed last year because you realized like, you know, it, it's not really 
like people are intractable. Yeah. And well, could I say something? Because we we literally just received an email breaking news as we recorded this from Michael in Philly, who said, "Simple question: Would players on non-contending teams receive more consideration for the MVP award if the word valuable was not present? Uh, if it were called most outstanding player award or best player award?" Um, and Jonah Carey on his podcast last week, I guess, had Susan Slusser on. Uh, and they talked about, uh, who, you know, she's she is the the baseball writers association Association of America uh, president. Uh, that is is one of her roles. And so Jonah asked about this and whether she thought the definition should be clarified and left less ambiguous. And she said that she likes the ambig- ambiguity because it uh, you know it inspires great debates every year. Um, and I might feel the same way if I were in her position. I mean, it might be a it might be a good thing for the Baseball Writers Association that there is this debate every year, um, but the debates aren't great. I don't think. Maybe occasionally you have an interesting argument for a player or against a player, but for the most part, it's rehashing the same stances time after time and adapting it slightly and. I believe the playoffs should matter, and I don't believe the playoffs should matter, and there's no no bridging that gap, really. Um, so I, I I would be in favor of of changing the word valuable. I think it's just it's more more trouble than it's worth, really. Yeah, I my my issue with the word valuable is I don't like I don't like laws that are selectively enforced. You know, because to me it feels like. If you have a lot of, you know, if you have laws that are selectively enforced, it's basically a way that you can, you know, you can use something to your benefit if you want to, and you can ignore it if you don't, and it creates this kind of confusion for everybody in, in the society, right? And I feel like with the valuable thing, it's a word that is, uh, you know, can mean everything if you want it to, and it can mean nothing if you want it to, and and people, you know, there's no there's no real consistency in, in how people use it, and so that's my big problem with, with the word valuable. I mean, it's yeah. very it's very easy for me to look at the word valuable and just go, Oh, well that's a, that's a nonsense word. It's just a proxy for the word best. Yeah. Um, and so I don't mind it being there. I, I, I mind it being deployed some years by some people and then, you know, not deployed by the same people the next year. It feel it's too squishy. I guess I don't like the squishiness of it. Yeah. Particularly. Um, I, I don't mind seeing the same arguments every year. Uh, I just mind that, they're not going to change anybody's mind. I, I, I feel like the thing that last year uh, just showed was like how pointless it is had to, to actually, you know, debate. Where nobody, n- nobody changes their minds at I all. Mean, it's possible that, that readers are being persuaded. Like we're, we're talking about it as if writers are just writing to other writers who have votes. There are yeah. people reading these things. And I mean, you know, if you, if you, reach an impressionable person at the right point and he he or she happens to see a certain column that has a certain viewpoint maybe that could change a mind here and there i would think Uh uh-huh probably but um yeah i don't know i'm i'm pretty pretty tired of it uh (laughs) i just i haven't heard anything new in a while if there were something new great but there's nothing new it's the same arguments rehashed and Many of them are good arguments, and I've I've heard them all. Yeah, I mean, what could possibly even be new? 
even I mean, even the players aren't new now. The, the, the same no, exactly. Players now. Uh, yeah. So now we're down to arguing about uh, like some slight circumstances that have changed in their situation since since last year. It's it's like a whole new level of pointlessness. Um, so and nothing. Yeah, and and it there is not some greater cause that this is that this is building to. I like for a while in my life it felt like this all really mattered and that when you know when the right pitcher would win the Cy Young and the right MVP would win the MVP like like the world would change or something but <laughs> this is not this is actually not about anything bigger at all it's mm. it's just about an award that is you know often given to the wrong person and the world forgets why do we even have to pick one player they're all really uh, all of these guys are really good why do we, yeah. Why does it have to be just one? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> okay. Well, that's probably the last time we will talk about the MVP race I will, on this podcast I will this year. I bet you $1 million it is not. It has to be. I told Andy that we wouldn't. Yeah. Well, the worst thing, really, the very, very worst thing about it is that I will still get sucked into at least one day where I... I forget that I don't care about this and I start tweeting out things. I mean, it's so hard to go the entire awards season yeah. without without thinking like, ah, I've got the tweet that'll end all tweets. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like you just you're oh you get and then you This is you the Jack Morris killer right here. You immediately hate it. Put a like stake as in soon it. as it's on there you hate yourself. <laughs> yeah. And 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 so then you're like, okay, fine, I I regret that I won't do it again. And you get 35 replies and like 16 of them are so dumb that you have to reply to them. Yeah. And then you're, then you're engaged in a little bit of a, Oh, I, it, I tweeted a joke the other night about Joey Votto when he was yeah. intentionally walked and yeah. something about how he had a passive approach or whatever. And I felt so, so ashamed uh, when I refreshed my timeline and there were like 10 identical jokes about Joey uh-huh. Votto from everyone else on my feed. Uh, yeah. And it just, I don't think I've tweeted since. Mm. <laughs> so. Um, I have more breaking news. Oh, good. A person from my fantasy league <laughs> just just picked up Jose Fernandez. <laughs> Jose Fernandez is available? For the playoffs. Well, he's out for the season. It's not a keeper league. Oh, and so once. <laughs> So it's just a just a gesture of some sort. Uh, no, no, no. Just she thinks that an ignorant that is, owner, the best kind she, of fantasy owner. She needed a better pitcher. She went and she sorted based on who had had the best year. Amazing she, how, how fortuitous Fernandez. that he was just sitting there on the waiver wire, one of the exactly. best pitchers in baseball. All right, uh, last question, okay. very last question. Guy asks uh, about foul balls off a batter's body during an at bat. If pain causes an adrenaline rush in the brain and indre- an adrenaline increases focus, vision, strength, and speed, do you think it's possible that a hitter has a better chance of hitting the ball hard immediately after fouling a pitch off his foot, leg, or other body part, assuming no deeper injury that could inhibit the swing? I'm guessing that the pain would would supersede the adrenaline. I don't know. It's it's a question that I'd... I'd like to ask someone who might have an informed opinion about it, but I would think that the pain itself would be so distracting uh, or actually impairing the player that, that that would outstrip any benefit that you'd get from 
increased focus or, or something? Yeah. I'm not sure that adrenaline is good for a batter. I mean, it seems like it would be based on Guy's description of what adrenaline does, but I, I feel like it, I kind of want to just take the word of players who talk about how important it is to be to be calm and to be within yourself and to not be too amped. Um, so I would guess I would guess that between between that idea and basically the the sort of idea that they are afraid of being hurt again, mm-hmm. that they would want to avoid pain, and therefore uh, it would affect their kind of desire to swing at the next pitch, mm-hmm. uh, would make it unlikely that guys' reasonable hypothesis would pan out. Yeah. Although I guess uh, you'd have a problem if you ever tried to analyze that because isn't there's always the cliche when a when a batter fouls a ball off himself that the pitcher is going to come right back in there, right? That's the, that's yeah. always what the announcer says, going to come right yeah. back in there. Um, yeah. So you'd have sort of a sampling problem if you ever actually watched video and, and attempted to study that because maybe there would be a, a higher proportion of pitches in, I don't know, low and, low and inside after that. Yeah, there would be. Maybe you could compare them to uh, other low and inside pitches, though. Yeah, you could do that. Okay. All right. Well, that's the show. Mm -hmm. We'll be back tomorrow.